Ah, good morning, everybody. Good to see you guys. It snowed. Is anybody? I'm pumped about that right now. A lot of people probably just shut your mouth, Pastor. I don't even want to talk about this right now. My daughter, I just, I love this age. She's just like woke up yesterday and it was Christmas. Just everywhere, bouncing everywhere. She wishing me Merry Christmas. She associates snow with Christmas. It's just an awesome stage of life. And, I, and when I hear that, I was talking to some people. Where did my excitement go in that? Like, my daughter just celebrates everything. Like, if she goes to the bathroom by herself, she's just excited and celebrates everything. So I just, like, where did my excitement get tempered? Maybe that's weird. But hey, it's good to have you guys here. It's always a privilege and honor to be in front of you. Uh, just real quick, I want to walk through just uh, a couple of things about how you can kind of come a, a part of this here uh, at church in the next season of life. We're, we're, we're looking to try to fill some things in our process, in our way, and, and uh, asking you guys to help kind of come around that. Uh, you know, we are wanting to create a culture of empowerment around here empowering people, equipping people, training people to do the work of ministry. You are to do the work of ministry, and we want to train you and equip you to do that work, whether it's in your community, at your house, uh, at your work, or at, in the global mission field, whatever it is. We want to empower people. And so um, we, we are just kind of looking to equip you in some ways, and, and we're turning our attention to how we can serve the church. And so here's what we're, we're looking for. And we want you to consider these things. We're, we're establishing a few teams. We're building an outreach team that is going to be focused on looking in our community, finding needs, and then creating events and things that will fit and fill those needs. And we just did the super service Saturday last yesterday, and it was awesome. We're going to have some pictures of that uh, next week. But doing those types of things, we're building a, a life care team that try to really focus on caring for each other in here. Because here's the issue. There are significant issues, hurts and, and struggles and, and there's deaths and there's injuries and there's hospital stays and we want to care for people in that, but we don't always know. We just don't always know what's going on. We don't scour the Facebook pages of everybody trying to figure out what's going on in your lives. And so uh, we simply don't know sometimes if people don't tell us and that can hurt people. And so what we're trying to do is build a, a team that is got you know, eyes and ears out there to kind of help us figure out where the needs are. It may be involved with visitations and, and funeral meals and, and sending cards to people. And so, look, if that's something that you would come around, then we would love for you to join our, our life care team. And the last one is just a maintenance team. Like, we got some good people here that good with your hands and just have some small maintenance issues that we want to walk through, like changing light bulbs and sinks and, and doors and things like that. So look, here's what we want. Just prayerfully consider where you might plug in in this church and kind of own and, and, and walk with us as, as your home church. Uh, we've got teams, uh, we've got leaders around those teams that are ready to resource you and train you uh, to send you out to be empowered to go. Because look, we're all ministers, some of us just not by occupation, right? We're all ministers wherever we're at. And as long as, as I'm here, guys, you've got to understand that we're not going to be in the business of doing church. We're in the business of being the church. And so we're going to walk towards that in uh, our love for Christ. So let's kind of turn our attention towards this week. We're in week three of our series called Go. It's about being empowered to make him known. There's that word empowerment again. Empowered to, to make him know that we are all called to participate in God's Great Commission. That is our work on earth, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that he has commanded, and behold, he is with us always to the end of the age. That is the work that we are to carry out as believers 
and it's a good work. It's an eternal work that brings satisfaction to our souls unlike any other work. So that is there for all of us to do. And last week we talked about a really fundamental piece in going and telling, and that piece was authenticity, right? People in this world just want to see believers who are authentic to the nature and the character and the truth of Christ. Authenticity matters to people. But where we find that authenticity matters, right? This culture will teach us that authenticity is about being true to yourself, following your heart. And last week, look, I just honestly said that's junk. That's junk. Because here's the deal, like, I know my heart. You know your heart. The word says that our hearts are deceitful and wicked above all things, and who can understand those things? So do I really want to lean into that? The word of God would say that we have to look outward to him. It says that we have to deal with Christ for our authenticity. That the fundamental problem of God's creation is a broken and busted heart that bends towards sin because it lacks a whole relationship with the Father. And so for a Christian, being authentic is looking outward, not inward. Looking outward towards the Father and seeking our forgiveness for our inexcusable sins in Him. That is true authenticity. Coming to a place where you own your position in front of the Father as sinner and then embracing the new life as a saint in His eyes. Not by your own merits or efforts, but through his grace and his mercy for you. And then we wrapped up everything by talking about two different fundamental areas that we see God's people working in the Great Commission and kind of styles. We talked about Peter's direct style, kind of a direct approach. And we talked about Paul's intellectual approach. And we're going to walk into two new styles this week. But we're going to turn our attention this week towards this kind of thought of compassion. Right? Compassion matters, and we're going to kind of look at that today. We were saved by a gospel that reeks of compassion for us. We were saved by a Christ who had great compassion for us. And that gospel is meant to be taken into the world through our compassion. We can't get around that. Compassion matters to this world. But here's the deal. Compassion is hard. It is so hard because we feel like sometimes in our compassion, we get taken advantage of. Have you ever felt like you just had a stirring, Lord, I went to help these people, and just like they played me. They played me. And, and it's just, it can be something that's detrimental to that pull internally that we just kind of ignore it because we get jaded by people. You know, when I first started here, like two days into this job, this calling here, this mission here at, at Life, uh, the second day that I was here, Debbie, I think, phones me and says, hey, there's somebody down here that needs some help. He's looking to talk to you and somebody. And I says, sure, I'll go down there, talk to him. And this guy tells me the story of the fact that his granddaughter, she's in Riley, and she, she's losing her battle. And they desperately want to get down there to see her, but they can't afford to go down there because they don't have money for gas. And, oh, my heart's just, you know, busted for this. And I just... I was thinking, oh, Lord, how do I, I help here? I, I don't like to give monetary things in situations like that. So I said, well, can I go with you to the gas station? I'll just fill your tank up. He's like, sure, you can do that. And so I walk upstairs, and I'm like, yes, Lord, I'm the church, casting crowns. Like, we are the body. Yeah, I'm the hands, Lord. I'm excited about this. I'm going to do this for you. Look, first act here. And I walk down, get my wallet, and I walk outside these doors of the overhang, and like, there's a Lincoln Navigator right there. And I thought, sure, okay, Lincoln Navigator. That's not over here. I'm looking for like some sort of Geo Metro. Somewhere, but in my head that I'm looking for that. But no, here's, here's a guy, Lincoln Navigator. I thought, oh, okay. Lincoln Navigator, okay. 
that sub's a nice car. I can't afford. You know, you do that judgment in your head. You see somebody. And so I, I get in the car, and I'm thinking, all right, this seems a little fishy. And I'm, I'm talking. I'm engaging. I'm talking to his, his wife's in the car. And I notice that she's playing Candy Crush. And I thought, hmm, man, that sounds, that's, that's kind of, if my daughter, my granddaughter was in Riley and she was on her deathbed, like, I think I wouldn't, I'd probably be a little bit more frantic. But, you know, maybe, Lord, that's right. who am I to judge, right, Lord? Maybe she's just processing this thing. That's how she's processing it. And so I engage in conversation as we go to the gas station. And more and more I'm going, I don't know, Lord. And I get out to fill up the tank. And do you know how big a gas tank on a Lincoln Navigator is? It's like a thousand-gallon tank. And I'm out there for seven hours just filling up this, this car. And I'm just the whole time wrestling with, like, Lord, I... I, I want to be compassionate. I felt like you moved me here, but then some things aren't adding up. And they take me back to church, and there wasn't a whole lot of like, you know, you want that appreciation, right? You want to feel like, oh, I did something good. Now honor me. And there wasn't a whole lot of that selfless, um, selfishness. And, and so I get back to the office, and I walk up, and I see Craig. And I said, Craig, man, I'm just feeling restless about this. There's a guy that came in, gave me the story, and wanted me to guess. He said, whoa, hold on. Was he in a Lincoln Navigator? you know? He said, yeah, he got us last month too. And I was like, what are you kidding me? I was pulled to compassion and this guy played me. And then I'm, I'm telling this like two months later at our pastor fellowship. And one of the, the Gary, the, the pastor at Hope, he said, was he driving a Lincoln Navigator? He did the same thing over there. And I thought, Lord, and here's the thing, that's not unique to me. Like you all have, have given out of your compassion and you get played sometimes, right? And in that being played, it jaded us. It jades us to think, you know, Lord, I don't know if I trust that. And so what, we really want to speak to that because here, here's what we want to kind of remind ourselves of today, that you and I who are in Christ, those who know Christ, that this isn't just a choice that we make, but it's a burden that we live by. It's a burden that we live by. Most of Jesus' interactions with people that he heals, he is moved out of compassion. He's moved out of compassion. The word for compassion in Greek is splachnizomai. Yeah, that's in the word. It's an actual word in Greek, splachnizomai. And splachnizomai translates into being moved from the inwards, being moved to compassion. And notably, it talks about being moved from the bowels, from the intestines, that this is a, a visceral gut reaction to respond to things. It's not necessarily a, a choice to do something. And so this kind of, it's a burden it's a burden that we have that's been given to the Lord's. It's not on something that's based on good intentions. And so this is, this is where we're at. Compassion is, isn't just about a choice, right? It's not just about a choice. It is a burden. It's a burden that's assigned to those who bear the image of Christ. And to bring some understanding into that today, what we want to do is we want to open up to Romans 15 and look at a few verses in there. And so follow along. Romans 15, starting in verse 1, it says, We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it was written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. That's Christ saying that your iniquities and sin fell on me. And for whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. 
And so right there in the beginning, there's a really strong word, obligation. Obligation is a really strong word that we have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. That is compassion. That's a compassion motivation, not to please ourselves, but to bear with the failings of the weak. And why are we to do that? Why are we to do that? Because of what Christ has done for us, right? It says we are to do these things. Christ has done those things for us, and it, it, it says that we are to welcome each other as Christ welcome you. And how did Christ welcome you? Open arms, right? Compassion, sympathy. So compassion is an obligation. It's a burden for those who know Christ to have the guts, right? That inner guts to deal with the failings of the weak and not please themselves. And so we're quick today, not, maybe not real quick, maybe it's long in your eyes, but we want to walk through just a couple of different things that I think trip us up in this area of compassion that really can rob us from really giving our, our all to that area of compassion. The first area is this, is that compassion is not charity. Compassion is not charity. And sometimes we view these things as the same because they seemingly can mean the same thing. But quite too often we link our compassion, we link our compassion to our wallets and to our stuff. And mostly stuff that we don't want. Compassion can be about us using our discretionary things for other people. So if we got a little extra money at the end of the pay period, we may give it to a cause, give it to the poor. I got two toasters now. What am I going to do? With it? Well, I'm going to give that one away. And that's what we think of sometimes in the area of compassion. But listen, charity is about choosing an action. Compassion is about being moved inwardly. If we look at Jesus, he gives us a great example in Luke 7. In Luke 7, uh, it says this, and we'll read this kind of together. Soon after he went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a great crowd went with him, as he drew near to the gate of the town, behold, a man who had died was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and consider, a considerable crowd from the town was with her. And what the Lord saw, when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said to her, do not weep. And then he came up and touched the buyer, and the bearer stood still, and he said, young man, I say to you, arise. And the dead man sat up and began to speak, and Jesus gave him to his mother. Fears seized them all. And they glorified God, saying, A great prophet has arisen amongst us, and God has visited his people. And this report about him was spread through the whole of Judea and all the surrounding countries. And so we see in this, Jesus, he's moved by compassion. He doesn't act, uh, he, he acts out of uh, an innate desire inside of him. And it's almost like he experienced something so powerful that moved him in his guts that he acts. He, in this moment, experiences the pain and the joy in the life of this mother as if he was feeling it himself in his being. It wasn't his decision. It was a reaction by something innate inside of him, a burden from within, a burden and an obligation of compassion. And it's something that you can't control. And maybe we've felt this, and maybe you know that feeling, but what happens is that we far too often feel that, and we settle for charity over compassion because it's easier. We replace compassion with charity. And every time we do that, that, that inward muscle that pulls us towards scenario, it, it's, like a, it's, it's like a muscle that we don't use. When we don't let it come out 
in the way that God wants it to come out, it just kind of weakens it. And, and before we know, we just settle in keeping our distance from things and just giving money to things because, you know, that's what feels better. So compassion, it's not charity. It's different. And compassion is not transactional. It's a second. Compassion is not transactional. When we're stirred up by compassion, it comes without strings attached. Compassion does not seek to gain from scenario. Its motivation is selfless. And I wanted to highlight this because actually, compassion is really, really trendy within our business culture today. Uh, some very, very smart people have figured out how they can leverage compassion and make a profit. With a society that's kind of capitalistic in nature, we have people who have taken their business minds and figured out how they can help some critical needs and issues within our culture and without, without, with other people's cultures. And, and maybe you've heard like businesses like Tom's. I don't know if anybody's bought some Tom's shoes before. But Tom's is a business that makes a profit. They're a for-profit organization that donates one pair of shoes for every one pair of shoes they sell. So if you buy a pair of shoes, they give a pair of shoes away. And there's lots of other businesses that have come around that kind of model. You got hats and shirts and sunglasses where you buy something and they give something. And then there's other types of businesses that employ people who are in tragic situations, who are in third world countries, and they employ them to make a good, and then they take a huge chunk of that profit and give back to those who made the product to, for their income. And look, I, I like those businesses, and those businesses prove to be successful. Anytime you can pull on somebody's heart and let them know that they're helping people, you're, you're going to make people buy your product. This kind of business has, has its own realm now. It's called compassionism. It's compassionism. It's a mixture of doing good while consuming good. And I don't want to speak negatively towards it. I look for those things. I, I think it's really smart to leverage things in that way. My concern, however, is allowing that to actually substitute actual passion, compassion. Because this type of transactional compassion where we're giving something by getting something weakens the true definition of compassion. Because at the heart of that, it's a consumption mentality. It's a consumption mentality. And one can't help but wonder if that kind of motive should be present within compassion. And anything that w speaks towards compassion, that we're looking to gain something out of it, should be scrutinized. It should be scrutinized. The only thing that we are to gain through compassion is that others might gain the knowledge of God's love for them through our compassion. And so the consumption side of that concerns me. And so compassion isn't transactional. It's not charity. When we read the pages of Scripture, here's how we see, I think, compassion. Compassion is substitutional. And look, I made that word up. I don't think it's a word. But I made it up because it, it fits well here, and you understand what it means. Compassion is about substituting one identity for another. And the only way that we can substitute that identity is hiding our lives and our hearts in Christ. Having our hearts transformed by the, by the Father. In Matthew 25, Jesus speaks of the final judgment. The end of our lives, he speaks of the final judgment, and he says that he will gather all nations and he will separate them into two different camps. One will be sheep and one will be goats. The sheep will be the ones that through faith and God's grace have trusted Christ as their Savior. The goats are those who have not. And it says that Jesus will say, God will say to those who are sheep, come to me, you who are blessed, and inherit the kingdom of God. For you 
saw me when I was hungry and you fed me. You saw me when I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. You knew me as naked and you clothed me. You cared for me and you visited me. And I love what, what this story uh, recounts that the righteous say back to Jesus when he says, they say, well, when? When did we see you, Lord, and, and feed you? When did we see you and, and give you a drink? When did we come and visit you? When did we all these, do all these things? And Jesus responds to them in this, in verse 40, in Matthew 25, he says, truly I say to you, as you did it for to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. The righteous say, well, when did you, Lord, did you disguise yourself? Did you sneak in somewhere? I don't remember feeding you. I don't remember clothing you. And he said, no, if you did it for one of the least of these, you did it for me. And so these verses present an understanding of compassion where compassion is the evidence of a heart that has been transformed by God. It's a mark of identity for a Christian because a heart that is transformed by God substitutes their perspective, their understanding, and their judgment on people for Christ. We substitute our hearts and our eyes for that of Christ Jesus. We would seek to see people with the heart and the eyes of Christ and not our own. And we are often led to uncompassion because of what we believe the poor choices and decisions that are made by others, like that guy in the Lincoln Navigator. And it jades us towards inaction. Jades us towards inaction. But God hasn't asked you to base your compassion on your own standards. God has not asked you to base your compassion on your own standards. You and I have a burden to choose what is godly and honoring to God in spite of the actions of others. Your actions aren't justified by somebody else's choices or because of somebody else's choice. Your actions are only to be justified by the Father. It's a burden from Him and to Him, and it's independent of things and people on this earth. It's independent of their choices. Compassion is substituting your own understanding and perspective of things and people for his, that we see people the way that Christ sees people. There's this beautiful picture uh, uh, between Christ and a massive crowd in Mark 6. Jesus has just sent out his disciples, his friend and uh, foreteller, John the Baptist, is beheaded. There's a lot going on. And then we pick this up in Mark 6, in verse 30. He says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that had been done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no, no leisure even to eat. And they went away in, a, in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. So when Christ stands in front of the sea of people, this magnitude, this multitude of people, here's what we know about Christ. He knows the bitterness and the corruption in each and every heart that's present in front of him. He knows what's in there. He knows every man's biography. He knows the whole story. But what does the Son of God do in that moment? He has compassion. He has compassion 
on them. That is what we have to reach for. That we would ask God to inform our hearts in the ways that we see others. That we would plead with him that we would see his people, his creation, not through our eyes, but through his. Because if we can do that, if we can do that, if we can see people with the kind of compassion that we see present in Christ here, or as close as we can get to that, our experiences and our efforts in the area of evangelism, of going and telling, will find a fertile soil to grow roots in. It will find fertile soil to grow roots in. And so, compassion is a fundamental area in influencing people for Christ. And, you know, Teddy Roosevelt, he once said that people don't care how much you know, right, until they know how much you care. Compassion feeds our efforts in growing and telling. And so to kind of wean down our time here today, I want to kind of dive into two other kind of types of evangelistical styles that we see present in God's Word. Uh, there are six of them, right? We walked through two last week, Peter's direct, Paul's intellectual. Uh, we're going to walk through two more. And here's the good news. Next week, I'm going to have a handout which summarizes all six of these so you can look at them in one place and kind of, kind of let your heart kind of sink into what maybe the Lord has gifted you with. Uh, this week, we're going to walk into uh, the blind man in John 9. So there's, a, there's the blind man's testimonial approach. And then we're going to look at the tax collector, Matthew, formerly known as Levi, and look at his interpersonal approach. So let's just jump in, into the blind man's testimonial approach. Uh, in John 9, we see Jesus. Jesus on his way, not even looking for things. He's on his way to another destination. He sees a man who is blind from birth, and he has compassion, right, on him. And he heals this man. It says that Jesus lifts up some dirt. And I, I want to ask Jesus about this stuff, because this is just weird. This is crazy, because he dirt, he spits in it, he makes it mud, and he puts it on his eyes. Like, that's, that's, wow. Okay, what, why did you do that, Lord? I don't, I don't know. You, and so he puts it on, and he says, go wash in the pool of Siloam. And this blind man goes and washes in this pool of Siloam, and he can see. He can see. He's healed. And people begin to notice. And in John 9, it records this. And starting in verse 8, it says, The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Is this not the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It is he. Others says, No, but he is like him. And he kept saying, I, love I am the man. That's me. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes open? And he answered, The man called Jesus made mud, and anointed my eyes and said to me, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and I washed and I received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? He said, I, I do not know. I love that he kept saying, look, it's me. It's, that's me. And he just, then he witnesses to them what Christ had done in his life. He didn't have a deep theology. He didn't have the answers to question. He just knew that God had did something profound in his life, that he was blind, and now he can see, and he's going to tell other people about that. And so for some of us in this room, we, not, we might not feel articulate enough to teach the gospel or to, uh, to weigh through the words and the ways of Christ. But we do know that he did something in us, right? We do that know that he somehow changed us profoundly. Earlier in John 9, as the disciples are walking by this man blind from birth, they ask him, why is this man blind from birth, Lord? And he says, so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. So the work of God might be displayed in his life. You and I have walked through some challenging steps in our lives. There's been challenging days in our lives, and those days are there so that the work of God might be known in our life and to others. 
All of those things in our lives that we went through, God pulled us through those things. You weren't the key to that effort. God was the key to that. And do you know why I know that? Because there are thousands of other people who are struggling with the very same things that you're struggling with that can't. God gave you the key to walk out of that. You didn't. And we are to tell that story to others. You have a story, friends, to tell to people. And there are lots of people in our lives that want to hear the work of God and how it changed people's lives. They want to hear that. Many people will never be influenced by a challenge. They won't be influenced by you answering questions, but they will be influenced in how somebody came to faith in their lives. And look, here's the thing that I hear. That story doesn't have to be dramatic and grandiose. I've heard people say this. I just got a boring testimony. I just got a boring testimony. Well, no, you don't. You don't have a boring testimony because he rescued you. Maybe you've been at church your whole life. I've been here for 30 years. I've been mostly good. I don't, I don't see why people would know that. Well, maybe your story is one from moving from religion to a relationship with God. And I'm telling you, there are people out there that that story resonates. There's no boring testimonies out there. You've got a story to tell. Stories engage people. Anytime I tell a story, you know what I notice? People kind of, people, stories matter to people. And so maybe this is you. Maybe you don't feel like you're an intellectual guy or direct, but maybe you've got a story to tell. And maybe you need to leverage that in the work of the kingdom. The second one that we want to look at today is Matthew. Matthew has an interpersonal approach. In the Gospel of Luke, Jesus invites Matthew to follow him, and Matthew becomes one of his disciples. And immediately after following Jesus, he invites his friends, the tax collectors, and hosts a huge feast at his house. Jesus is there. They eat, they drink, they converse with Jesus. Matthew in here leans on those relationships that he developed in his life, not on his intelligence, not on his story, but on the relationships he built. He invited them to their home, their, his home. He spent time with them. He genuinely showed care for them. And here's the reality. There are many, many, many people in this world that will not know Christ until somebody takes some time to build a deep relationship with them. And there are many of us out there who have this kind of knack just to connect with people. You know those people that are just, I call them relationship magnets. Like they just get how to connect with people. They can walk up to a stranger and they, before you know it, they're in an hour-long conversation about something that you didn't even realize they could talk about. You know those people. And that is a gift. That's a gift given to you by the Lord. And we are to leverage that gift for the kingdom to use our ability to build relationships, to, to hear the struggles of others, and to express the love of God to them in those relationships. If this is you, this, you're the type of people that love to have coffee with somebody and just talk about life. If Maybe breakfast. I love to have breakfast and talk. You just like to get to know people's stories. You enjoy listening to others, considering what's going on in their lives, and just lovingly caring for them wherever they're at. That's Matthew interpersonal relationship. So, look, as we walk through these today, I wonder if any of these kind of kicked up in your heart. I hope maybe you've been wrestling with these things that maybe you said, oh, that's me. I think that's, that's me. And, and hopefully we have some more of those moments later on. But as we walk in this area in this effort of making God's known, we have to start with some basic building blocks, authenticity and compassion. Compassion matters. It is a, like, oxygen to the fire in our efforts to make God known. It makes all the difference 
in our efforts. And so, look, if that's you today, if, 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 if compassion is an issue for you, the challenge today is this. Look, I know, I know I was jaded. I know that I've been jaded by my interactions with people in my compassion. But look, I'm not dependent on them for anything. My compassion is between me and him. And we've got to pray that God will remove some baggage and some jadedness towards being compassionate because we've been played so we can pursue others in our efforts of going and telling. Something to be thinking about, something to be praying about this week. Let's pray. Lord, we just come before you today. We just, we thank you that you're a God that wrestles with us, that you don't leave us the way that we are. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would just send a restless spirit in us that we just really need to confess this indifference to people because we've been hurt or jaded in our compassion, that we would see compassion as foundational because you gave us so much compassion on that cross that we would lead with compassion for others in the way that we go. And so, Lord, we just thank you for the way that you work in our lives and the blessings that you've given us. And we pray this in your son's name, in Jesus' name, amen.